You know what's hard? Planning media. Planning media in a political cycle makes it even harder. The team discusses that and a whole lot more on this week's episode of The A-Game. You're listening to The A-Game, an adcom podcast chronicling the week in media, technology, and agency life, featuring Joel Hammond, Jim Ganser, and Jeff Culleton. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another week, a special week, a Halloween episode, episode 54 of The A-Game. Super excited to have a new face and a not-so-new face in the booth today. Today we're going to talk about media, and in order to talk about media and what it takes to be effective, you need people who really know what they're talking about. I wouldn't say that. You may recognize this voice. I'm Jeff Culleton, Senior Director of Media Strat- or of Digital Strategy. Oh. I don't even know my own title. Senior Director of Digital Strategy, longtime A-gamer. With us this week, media planner, new-ish face to the adcom group, but very new face to the A-game podcast, Alyssa Favlazzo. Ah, I did it. I did the L. I did it. You did. Favazzo. Favazzo. So the problem is that a couple of days ago I said Favlazzo, and now I have this, like, I have a, a Freudian tick towards it. It's a it. tricky one. It is a trick, a but it, it's not so much that I have a tick to it, because if she didn't call me on it so hard yeah. previously, um, I wouldn't have made the mistake again, but now I'm, I'm pretty much gutted forever. Uh, and Senior VP of Digital Strategy, Kevin Griffin. How are you? I'm. If I were any better, this is one of my favorite days of the year. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. We need to do this more often. I was telling Mike earlier, we need to have Halloween twice a year. <sighs> Halloween twice a year. We got a lot of candy in the office yeah. today. A lot of pre-diabetes going on. <laughs> if you're not careful, <laughs> yesterday was my birthday, so I'm feeling that's right. Happy per- birthday! Particularly spry, Jeff, yeah. at the moment. Didn't even show up to work. <laughs> show up. I was doing work in a different capacity. Yeah. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, so uh, when we get into this time of the year. The, the fall moving into winter, we go into hyper mode around media planning for our clients. Yeah. Um, media planning at Adcom is uh, something that we've been doing for, you know, the entirety of the business and something that, um, you know, really is a hallmark of the work that we do for our clients. So uh, I think Alyssa is... Um, a, a really nice ad for today because she's knee deep. In fact, being able to pull her out of the weeds of media planning right now for 2020 was difficult. Um, she's knee deep in the strategy of it. And then Kevin looks at it in, in, in such a neat and interesting way uh, through a consumer's eyes uh, f- from some very, very high volume media brands. Um, so I think we want to talk about the Adidas example, and I think you frame it really well, yeah, Kev. Yeah. So if you want to just like touch off, you know, what Adidas, uh, the, the article that kind of caught you and what they saw, um, maybe some deficiencies. Yeah, well, it's, it's again, thanks for having us and thanks for letting me be, uh, join the show again. Uh, this is an exciting time, as you outlined, and uh, Alyssa and I were having coffee last week, and mm-hmm. or maybe it was this week, and we were going through... Uh, some media planning and a deck for a, a client. And, and we really started nerding out around this notion of fragmentation of the audience today. And how do you actually find the audience w- at, in real time and then 
build an attribution model back to a business. And it's yeah. becoming more and more difficult for uh, for even the most sophisticated of, of, of brands and partners that we have. But I shared with the team here uh, an article that uh, some other folks had, had circulated uh, to me around a case study around Adidas. And what Adidas, particularly their, their unit in Europe, uh, they found that they had gotten so hyper-focused on efficiency, particularly around digital, that they had started to fall behind and lag behind in terms of investing in and speaking to their audience and building their brand. Uh, they are so hyper-focused on ROAS or ROI from a digital standpoint that they actually shrunk and narrowed their reach. And so for those of you out there that are, are in, in, the, in the marketing and, and advertising world, you understand kind of what we were talking about. We'll try to dissect that with Alyssa as well. But I found that article fascinating. And, and, and I, I love the fact that they, their leadership had some humility to say, hey, let's take a step back. Let's reevaluate. And for us in the world that we live in, and Jeff, you and I are working a lot on this, it was a reminder about the value of living in a test and learn environment. Yeah. It's really, really important. Yeah. And um, in, in looking at this over, I think from a media perspective, we're actually facing a, a similar challenge um, is proving out these larger mass reach channels that don't necessarily have uh, some sort of measurement associated with it. So when you say mass reach, what do you mean specifically uh, when you channel as an example? Like TV and radio and uh, print, um, traditional channels. Reach too. a ton of people, but you don't really know right. who the hell's looking at it. Right, exactly. You can you can be speaking to you know a small group of people or thousands, millions of people, it's, but it's hard to prove out. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this uh, and campaigns I would run 15 years ago, and I would make a number of phone calls, and it was simply, what was our TV plan? What was our print plan? Yeah. Uh, and maybe what was our radio plan if we had enough money? And that was it. And, you know, get a good run schedule, really understand your audience, understand your media partners. But today, the conversation is so much different. You know, when we think about if we used a target demo of 18 to 34, which everyone seems to target in terms of, and I hate to use the term target, but if that were our audience that we were trying to attract, the data would tell us today that they're watching less and less television. And in fact, TV premiums or TV costs have gone up mm-hmm. about 10% over the last year, year, year and a half. Uh, people are still watching TV, but live television, that audience has shrunk. And, mm-hmm. and to our point earlier in our conversation, Jeff, most people are watching live TV for one of two reasons. Uh, live sports. Live yep. sports and, 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 and news, and that's an yeah. older audience. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that's where really where you capture live audience for TV. So where else are our consumers actually engaging with content? By the way, good, meaningful content. I, I happen to believe we're living in a golden age of content. If you think mm-hmm. about uh, television productions, uh, if you think about shows on streaming services, podcasts, even, even radio has gotten better. I think it's the competition's a stepped up game, but where and how are, are folks consuming it? I'd, I'd be curious your point of view on that too. Yeah, and I think, um, and we kind of lightly discussed this in, in our little coffee date last week, but um, because the landscape is so fragmented, it's not necessarily we're losing viewers of TV, it's they're consuming it in a different manner. Right. They're going digitally. Yeah. We could even see that with print too. You see these huge publications, Red Book, uh, I believe 17, where they're folding their in-book presence and primarily going online because it's not that they're losing viewers, but maybe that format. Yeah, they just go to a different spot. Exactly. Well, I, we we talk about 
Kevin and I banter back and forth on the term of it, but acquisition marketing, mm-hmm. how do I acquire a new customer? What's the cost and, and how do I do those things? A lot of the times I, we even take it a step up and call it performance marketing um, because it's it's so heavily driven on analytics and analytics that you can see mm-hmm. in, in rapid fire fashion. One of the things that I get curious about is because my, you know, my experience is so digital. My career experience is so digital. How do you quantify for people or how do you attempt to quantify for people? You talk about these mass reach things, Mm -hmm. these mass reach channels that are necessary to open new eyes to your product, but are really hard to say, 85 people pass my billboard now know about me. How do you, how do we go about making those, you know, everybody wants an equation. My dollar got me this. How do you do that at those really high reach uh, and frequency or high reach channels where it's very hard to do that? Mm-hmm. What do we do? It, if I had that, if don't. I had that silver bullet, I would present it right now. I so mean, there, there's obviously, but what's what's even a process? Like you step people down from okay, we did this thing on TV that drove them to something. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. I'll give you one example if you don't mind. Yeah. Let me jump in. One of the things that we do uh, for a couple of our clients, and these are big volume clients. So there's every single day, every single hour, they're transacting in multiple locations uh, at lots of volume, and so uh, we'll keep track of the hours uh, based on telephone calls, inbound calls, uh, and when television and or radio uh, spots are running. And we'll do that on a daily and hourly basis. And we keep track of that and understanding where the media placement is. But I think uh, with more precision, if we if, if, if we have conversations, and I'll, I'll, I'll share this with, uh, that we're working on with one client in a huge city, one of the top, one of the largest cities in America, um, they're a commuter city. And so you sit in the car for about an hour and a half at least every day. Oh, 90% of awful. the people that live there sit in the car for an hour and a half each Ooh. day. So what does that mean? So then we bring to them a commuter strategy. And what does that commuter strategy mean? That means a combination of radio slash audio and out of home. They have tons of billboards in this major city. You can probably guess which one of the three we're talking about, but there are billboards everywhere. Right. And so as a consumer, if you're having, if you're hearing that advertisement or something positive about the brand and the way that we position that messaging during your commute on on air, obviously radio, uh, or again, uh, some programmatic audio if you're listening to podcast or Spotify or or Pandora. But then you see that as well, that's going to reinforce, it it, it allows both medias to work better together in concert. So we try to approach it in a way of what, who is the audience and let's look at their behavior and Mm -hmm. insights and then build a plan back from there. It's a lot of inferences you need to make on your target. Yeah. Uh, And we had been talking about this earlier today. It's it's something that we, we don't necessarily have the formula for you can make inferences from data that you collect from surveys. But with these mass reach channels, if you don't have the budget that allows for a a media mix modeling Mm -hmm. um, survey to be conducted, it's kind of diving deeper into who our target is, what's their propensity for consuming this type of channel, and then inserting ourselves there. Yeah, I love the word propensity, by the way. It's completely, (laughs) it's neither here nor there. But so uh, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday who is at a C-level, Um, And one of the things that I I just, I'm interested because, um, you know, it's an audience 
that especially in a B2B space where there's a we do a lot of work uh, in a B2B, a corporate and commercial space. Um, you know, what is I, I can say anecdotally off the top of my head, hey, C-level person, I know your habits. Like, I know where you consume stuff. I know you're on NPR. I know you're on the daily. I know you're getting curated stuff. Um, but how do I really know it? You know, the channels that we will go through have numbers that they refer to, point to, maybe they're proprietary, maybe they're not, but those are inherently biased because you want us to think that you've got the audience that we need. Uh, and then, so I asked this person, I'm like, how many, you know, how many surveys from marketing companies have you responded to in the last year? And he's like, well, none. I'm like, yeah, I know because you're way too busy to respond to a survey. So of the audiences that these channels say that they, you know, they have, oh, we, we reach X number of C-level people. Doesn't that feel like a funky number? Like, how did you get to that? Is it chief executive officers of independent companies that make $100,000? And, you know, because you're not doing that. So is that number inherently skeptical to you? And yeah, it is, but everybody wants the pathway. Everybody wants the the art to be completely backed up with science. But and and it, and it can be to a degree. But I think the 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 fallacy, if someone were to come to us at ICOM and say, "Hey, I, I want a, I have a new product to launch, yeah. and I need a media plan, and I want to spend all my money on television." Well, that's where there's a bit of a yellow or red flag, right? You have to be diverse. And you have to be diverse because our audience is diverse today. I was thinking about this just from my own point of view. And uh, today's a Thursday, and I have probably only watched at most three hours of television from Monday to today. But I do know I consumed a lot of content. I know how many podcasts I've listened to. I know how much live radio I've listened to. Uh, I know how much I've read. I know how much I've been uh, from a digital standpoint. And I know how much I've actually air quoted watched, right, video wise, but it wasn't in front of my television. Yeah. Uh, so we have to continue to think about where the customer is or the or the consumer is, and then try to build back those attribution models. So and it's two things. One is to actually drive behavior, whether that is gener lead generation, or how do we set a baseline on the front end for awareness? So getting out, doing the surveys, doing the work, getting the qualitative and quantitative research that you need, and then setting a baseline. And then after the campaigns run, you can really look back and say, okay, we improved in whichever brand health metrics we, we that, that matter and or short-term revenue metrics that matter. So I have a question. So I'm very interested in these large-scale reach channels that um, are starting to hybridize. So TV is becoming OTT. Mm -hmm. Radio is becoming satellite where you have extensions mm -hmm. of those things. Um, we talk about how, how you ex extend uh, satellite radio through retargeted display. Is that the same with OTT now? Is OTT a better mechanism for seeing if somebody's doing something? Or are there extensions on that now? Is OTT in a spot where it's starting to uh, offer you know complementary... Uh, marketing uh, channels to 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 get to maybe somebody making an action like retargeting. Yeah, uh, the capabilities out there. Yeah. definitely. I think um, also too, measurement is extremely important. In you know you you want to be able to uncover the performance of something, be able to track it and reference those data points. So I think also another reason why we're seeing a lot of these channels. Um, evolve into like a sort of media platform is because it's easy to keep track of. 
Yeah. yeah. It's easy, easy yeah. to measure, easy to reference. You can tag anything nowadays. So this is, to Kevin's point with Adidas, we talk about easy. It's easy to do something. Mm -hmm. So what if a big part of the equation is off? What if your media tactics are spot on, but your brand yes. doesn't ladder up to what you're saying? Media is not 100% of the equation. Yes. I think a big bulk of it really is the message that you're delivering and the creative. And does that map to who people think you are? Yeah, so, I think it's a, it's yeah, a good influence. I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up because we, we will get into conversations and everyone wants to think about this in terms of performance marketing. Mm -hmm. Did you do the right job? Did you do the right thing in terms of your placement and get your audience right? But if your brand is not optimized for growth and for the audience today, your point earlier, the messaging, then it costs a heck of a lot more uh, in order to get the optimization through what we would call the sales or marketing funnel. It just is, right? So all of these things have to work in concert and you've got to take time to make sure you're designing and testing and learning and then putting forward uh, the right type of message with the right audience through the right channels that, that, that will work. Otherwise it becomes inefficient. At some level it can, becomes really inefficient. So it's important for us and we do this often is to counsel our clients on understanding the strengths of all three of those mechanisms, the brand, the performance and the science behind all of that that pulls it together. This so to me, I when in in one of the hats I wear, I'm literally wearing a hat right now too. <laughs> the one of the hats I wear is, is is very business development focused, and it's really it's much easier to get somebody to spend money on a digital channel that is highly trackable, especially if you're e-commerce. Like I mean, highly trackable. And I can show you metrics, impressions and clicks, which frankly, in a lot of cases, are very, very fuzzy, squishy metrics. They're intent metrics, mm -hmm. maybe. Vanity metrics. Yeah, vanity. But it's really hard in a lot of cases to say to somebody, give me money to spend on understanding your brand for you to re-understand your brand. Because I can go to market with the most dynamic and targeted audience metrics possible, especially in digital channels. But if I look at that and say, your brand's off, you say this about yourself, I'm highly sustainable green. And then over here in the news, there is a story about you being the opposite. Then that's broken. It, it is, it, it is. but I, I don't think we have to go too far back in time to think about how really incredible brands were built. They were built around creativity and uh, inspirational ideas. Um, and, and I think about Coke and I think about the the jingle, the, the song that they had. I was a little kid, uh, you know, I, I don't want to sing it here, but damn it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the mic is hot. It is. <laughs> it is. That is a hot yeah, mic. I, I think, and so it, Coke, Disney, Nike, uh, if I say, do you know, do you know, do you know, and I reference uh, Mars Blackman with Air Jordans, some of the audience will know exactly what I'm talking about. But when that commercial came out, it was, and that whole campaign came out, it, for me, that spoke to me as a person. And, and I, 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 I just caution companies and brands to not lose sight of the power of creativity and a great idea because it's more powerful than in any kind of data or metrics that we can put in front of them from uh, an advertising campaign standpoint. The, the art 
is being somebody inherently who I don't think is, you know, artistic, creative myself, I'm speaking about, um, the art of it is always still kind of a marvel to me. Yeah. And, you know, Alyssa deals so much in the science. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's neat to see when they marry together. It's it's incredible. I'll give you an example, recent example. Whether you like it or not, the Nike campaign with Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, that that was incredible. Yeah, like and they took a risk. Uh, maybe they knew their audience. Maybe they didn't. They stood for something. It was a super long, long a minute, a minute and a half. They had a number of different uh, types of, uh, of of edits um, and versions. But at the end of the day it really, really broke through the clutter because there's so many messages, we all know this, but there's so many messages that the consumers are receiving every day. You've got to break through. And by the way, a lot all brands can figure out the science and the math, and, the, and it's the magic that matters. It's not just the math, it's the magic that matters, which and, is the messaging. And just given you know what you said, there's a lot of skepticism out there mm-hmm. nowadays, being consumers and, and seeing tons of ads on a daily, hourly basis that the importance of the messaging you're delivering to them it has to be authentic yeah. and meaningful. I wasn't planning on going into this, but I, it's yours, your segue is too good. Um, and it's something that I, it's so timely that I think even waiting until next week to talk about it doesn't make a lot of sense. So It could be a teaser. It, it could be a teaser. <laughs> so Mark Zuckerberg was on Capitol Hill um, last week getting grilled about um, ad types um, content that they let through versus content that they block. Um, you know, he in and of himself is awkwardish in those scenarios, which makes people at face value think he's being evasive. Uh, and so several days later, um, Twitter comes out and says that they are not going to display political content. They will not be selling political ads. Yep. Um, they will also not be selling ads that are incendiary around specific issues like climate change. That's that's a yeah. that's a big big addition mm-hmm. to that. Um, as somebody who plans a tremendous amount of digital media, like what kind of wrinkle is that moving <sighs> forward? We're coming into the this year is going to be twenty twenty is going to suck. It's going to be like we're going to be bombarded with things we don't want to see. Mm-hmm. Is this I mean, is this is this a balance tipping? Because this is a gigantic dollar hit for those platforms. Absolutely. Um, I think it's a double edged sword. Um, if your message is more focused around something that is you know, a hot topic like climate change, um, then that poses uh, an issue. But in terms of political, I think it provides the necessary opportunities for advertisers to break through that clutter and not be bombarded with political advertisements. Also, there are pricing implications, the um, the possibility of losing your spot compared to you know these political ads. So I think for advertisers, just based on where your brand stands, it could be beneficial, but also if you're more focused around those specific content types, it could be a threat, but let me let me play devil's advocate real quick. And uh, so, conservative brands coming up into twenty twenty who don't want to be associated next to that type of content, or is it possible that they could actually spend more? Yes, in those channels, and then offset the political dollar loss. 
I don't know if they could offset the, the dollar loss. Gigantic. The, right? Those budgets are enormous. Kev, um, do you see the brands that you work with? Are you seeing them shy away for 2020 from certain channels based off of things that might be a little bit more politically um, uh, weighted? Not necessarily. There's certainly a, a uh, there's a consciousness of the cost increase mm -hmm. for for media. But what what will what will determine uh, media placement and buys and investments uh, on those channels is if the audience decreases. By what what I mean by that is if the content, the advertising, and the messaging is so polarizing uh, from a from a uh, political standpoint that people start turning off the television or stop listening to the radio because they're constantly bombarded by that message. Then then I think there's a uh, then there's a conversation to be had. But for the most part, um, the brands that we're working with know they still need to find that audience. And I'm I'm really curious in 2020 to see what what shift, if at all, there is in consumption by mm -hmm. just regular consumers. Because you know, if, if every other commercial you see is is someone else uh, bashing another candidate or or or, or a political position, then it it does become it takes a mental toll on all of us. So would you th yeah. would you think that streaming services that don't run ads so are going to see measurable upticks in maybe time spent uh, in those channels over the over the course of 2020 because it's just you're going to get so sick of it in TV, you're going to get to be sick of it in radio, you're going to be sick of it not on Twitter, but potentially on Facebook. Do you think there's going to be a rush towards channels that have a lot less noise to them? I don't know if I can answer that. I, I don't. I don't know if I have enough data or insight to, to mm -hmm. answer that. I I just simply think as we as we look at the data, and we've actually called out any numbers, but with the uh, advent of Disney's new streaming service and uh, HBO's new streaming service, uh, there's so many new. I'm, I'm missing another one that a major one that just uh, recently launched, but there's so many new streaming services with what looks like really good content. Apple TV Plus. Apple is. TV Plus, that's the other one that looks like really, really good content that uh, we have to get really creative uh, and clever about how we connect the brands and companies we work for to that content since we can't advertise within the content. So yeah. we have to think about creative ways to do that and uh, you know, happy to take phone calls from folks who, <laughs> who want to do that because we've already started thinking about that, but we have to figure out how to connect from a cultural standpoint uh, with that content, uh, with our brands, uh, in a way that makes sense since we can't be inside that programming. It's going to be, an, it, it, we've been in, a, we've been in a, a, a hyper period of transition from a media perspective. I mean, it's been 10 years, if not more. I mean, if you look, you know, the ad platforms within our social channels didn't really start becoming the focus of their business model until about six or seven years ago. And, you know, Facebook, MySpace, all that kind of stuff was 2005, 2006. So th that maturity process really took some time, not surprisingly. But it does feel like they, they're in an inflection point right now where the social, the social um, distortion of all of our different types of media is starting to actually have business implications. And I think it's going to be in the next week to 10 days to two weeks to see if Facebook is pressured into taking the same stance as Twitter does uh, is going to uh, is going to happen if there's going to be a waterfall effect uh, from that. But it, you know, we just it feels like you're you're. I've said this before. We're in a neat time because we're most valuable 
when people need insight about transitions, what should I do next? What, you know, is this channel, is TikTok something I should be on? And, you know, we've got nothing but, you know, nothing but chances to open doors to our clients for new and maybe different types of media. Um, And I think this goes back to the original question of, you know, do we have data to support you should be here or you should be here or your exact audience is here? No, not always. And it's not linear data, but we have lots of experience and we have for the brave uh, braver brands, uh, you have the ability to say, we know this is going to be a thing. We just don't know to what capacity. But we can get there. And I, what, I, what I mean by that is not to contradict you, but with, contradict the, me all you with want. the right processes in place, we can get, cl- if we're not all the way there, we can get really, really close yeah. to understanding uh, where the, both where the audience is and what message resonates. And I, And we didn't mention this earlier, but have a good product too, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you don't Turns have out. if you don't have something to sell, then you really don't have anything to talk about, right? Yeah. So, the differentiations, the reason to b- believe, have a product that actually matters makes all the world of difference relative to the success of obviously a, a campaign. But you got to have a product that matters. You've got to have something actually to say that the audience wants, and some and positioning the product through the messaging, the brand position that actually serves a need for the audience. And that's really important. One day in my life, I don't know when, I, I can't wait to work for a, I just, it's a bucket list thing. I want to work for a political campaign. Yeah. Because I think it's so close to exactly what we do from an advertising standpoint. It's all about positioning. It's all about branding, messaging. It's all about getting the word out. It's grassroots. It's high level. It's building awareness. It's building a funnel. And then you've got to have the most important call to action. Instead of come buy my product, I need you to go out and vote. And I need you to believe in me. And that is, to me, like, that's the holy grail. So one day in my life, that's what I'm going to do because I think it pulls together all the stuff that we what we do here. The person's the product, man. And or sometimes it's a facade, right? That's part of you got to you got to sell. So, Alyssa, from a planning standpoint. Yes. The, you know, the the customers that we work with are traditionally trying to reach that C-level, that B2B, that C-level audience, you're going to them right now and you're saying, we need to do this. What kind of channels are you recommending for them at the moment? Um, I think it it goes back. um, Fragmentation is not just seen with one specific consumer demo. It's it's seen across site. So what we're exploring is a, a multifaceted kind of approach where we do leverage those mass reach tactics, so really driving those impressions in front of those eyeballs, but then also the the volume generation, the the conversion metric engagement. That's where we, we leverage those digital tactics, where we can leverage those uh, sophisticated targeting segments. So it's a combination of the two, um, but just given the objectives, I think it just it makes the most sense. But again, it's the biggest challenge, just knowing that we're we're finding this target. Yeah, Jeff. I know you're a big fan of podcasts. I love podcasts. Yeah, so a lot of a lot I'm on of, one right now. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> touche, touche. But uh, thought leadership, right? So that's where mm-hmm. C-suite folks are typically looking. Um, is they they spend a lot of time thinking and improving. And there's you know whether it it's HBR um, or or McKinsey, they 
almost on a quarterly basis tell you some of the best habits of CEOs and executives and they're in a constant learning mode. So they're always reading, they're trying to learn, they're trying to improve. And so you find that kind of behavior, typically uh, it, it manifests itself in, in trade publications, thought leadership publications, podcast, uh, those are the kind of, and, and, and kind of um, industry type events. So those are, uh, and white papers. So those are, those are the areas that I certainly would recommend and suggest when, when trying to target a C-suite level uh, type of organization. And then, you know, I, I have to bring this out just because it's my, my, my background, but then you think about the sports landscape, that's why tennis and golf are so expensive when it comes to sponsorships and advertising, because you know that that high level C-suite and, and person with a, uh, a household income is really high. They're yeah. watching tennis and golf, and those are great places to, uh, to do entertainment, to, to entertain other clients. I think as we, we, we wrap up today, the things that I'm taking away, fragmentation is forcing brands to really have a very concerted effort around multi-tiered approaches from and 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 thoughtful approaches from how do I acquire new people at a top level, maybe less visibility to uh, understanding the exact action somebody's taken, but wide scale, pushing them all the way down through understanding that I am who I say I am, making somebody comfortable enough uh, to do business with me because trust is becoming such a paramount uh, to all people as they want, you know, to align with the brand. So I think it's a really interesting conversation, uh, one that is certainly just going to keep getting more attention in the upcoming political cycle. Um, so I think, you know, I, we're going to have plenty to talk about uh, over the next year. And I think the, the continuity of a brand all the way down from who they say they are in their marketing to who they really are at their bones uh, really helps to drive the ways that you know they they can go to market and be trustworthy. It all works together, and and we w we would be remiss if we finished this episode without a reminder about the importance of reach and frequency. Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean sometimes you got to go back to the fundamentals yep. and the ability, and that's actually what makes digital so darn attractive mm -hmm. is that you can measure that reach and frequency for that audience where you kind of know on broadcast. Uh, but in digital, you really do truly understand that reach and frequency in a different way. But that is critically important to a modern media mix. I leave it up to you to close it out. My me. head is nodding in agreement. Good. Before I let you guys go, yeah. before you let us Shoot. go, Jeff, uh, what are you looking forward to binging or watching on any of the streaming services over the next couple of weeks? You uh, Thank God we had this conversation in advance because I'm awful at this. Well, I didn't even get to share my my... Thought. So I'm my favorite show outside we'll of us. live sports. I'm I'm going Jack Ryan like you, but I'm gonna defer because hopefully you have a better answer than I do. Well, okay, I'm like a binge watcher of like the classics, and when I say the classics, like Friends. Yes. Yes, Friends is good. Kablamo. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're taking it off at the end of the year, oh, yeah, so I just have to get all my my Chandler time in. <laughs> Chandler <Yeah>. Bong. <laughs> I have uh, I have fallen into, into uh, Netflix has done a great job of getting me into stand up comedy again. Mm. And uh, I can't wait. Oh, every yeah. every weekend or every other week, they have some kind of new stand-up that I didn't know was coming out, and uh, they keep feeding it to me in, in that, you know, through their programmatic feed because they know what I'm, I'm yeah. looking for. And um, although it's – I probably have a different – 
palette for uh, for for comedy than others. But a guy named Dion Cole, if you don't know who he is, if you ever watch Blackish, he's the real mm-hmm. funny guy. He's like the best friend of Andre. Um, uh, his stand-up, I had no idea he was a stand-up comedian. Hilarious, hilarious. So I I'm, I typically on a weekend will check out three or four stand-up uh, stand-up shows on on Netflix. We might have to give him some love on our social channels. It's rated. Are so be careful. <laughs> Maybe not Brand so safety. much love, but yeah, it was my safety. it was my segue into reminding everybody you can always follow the podcast and all the places that you find podcasts, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, and you can always find us on our social channels: uh, Twitter at the A Game, uh, LinkedIn, the AdCom Group, Facebook at the AdCom Group. Um, we do our best to, to get the content that we've spoken about on the show up on those channels. Uh, so if anybody's interested in, in referencing the articles uh, that we're talking about or the news that we're talking about, we'll get them up there so that you can read them. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Alyssa Favazzo. There you go. There ding, we ding, ding. Favazzo. <laughs> uh, awesome perspective. Thank you. Um, uh, nice to have you on the show. I'm sure it's not going to be the last time. Kevin, as always, um, whenever Kevin's on the show, Kevin's driving topics. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Uh, I, I appreciate it too. And I know you have a big day coming up in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. The Browns versus the Bills. Bills. November 10th. November 10th. So we'll have to put some uh, lunch wagers on those we'll games. We'll have to put some lunch wagers on those games. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to episode 54. We'll see you next week for episode 55.